I'm Garrett, and I am an alcoholic. Uh, I know some people like to say that I'm the real alcoholic when they start their share, and that's always kind of fun. Feels like an old guy thing to do. Um, but I'm the real alcoholic. I'm a real alcoholic, as it's described. Um, I'm a crazy person, and, and even in in the the more about alcoholism, you know, there's this, um, countless vain attempts to drink like a regular person, or even just like try to be sober on my own. And it did not work. Didn't, couldn't, wasn't working. Um, and the only way that I've, I've found to work currently is by having a sponsor who also has a sponsor and going to hella meetings and reading and working the steps and um, participating. Um, you know, I have, a, I have a secretaryship in uh, at a meeting on Monday nights and um, just being actively involved in my sobriety. Um, my sobriety date is the 6th of September, 2021, which makes me a s- just over a six month old baby here. Um, I'm, I'm processing my fourth step and it's really hard and I love it and I hate it and uh, I'm here. So what it was like was I was like a really regular kid. I had like a pretty healthy upbringing and then my parents split up and then everything went crazy and I got sad and weird and I thought I wasn't able to fit in and I didn't know what to do and et cetera, et cetera. And I felt that way for a really long time. And then when I was in high school, I found alcohol and it was the solution immediately. Um, except it was like the solution to me just like blacking out in the park with a bunch of other teenagers. And, you know, like one of the first times that that happened to me, the other kid that was like 14 years old got alcohol poisoning and had to go to the hospital. And so I had like immediately that same night I got my first public intoxication. So I got like a public intoxication. My friend went to the hospital with alcohol poisoning and I, the next day I had to like put all the pieces together and, and like go with my dad over to the kid's house and like apologize to his mom for almost killing his son. And (laughs) that was crazy. When I was 19, I got my first DUI. Um, When I was in my 20s things were like mostly okay and I just kind of partied but I couldn't drink like a regular person and a lot of times I just ended up blacking out and being like the person that was way too fucked up at the party and um it wasn't cute and it stayed like that for a really long time until a couple years ago I got with someone and I did everything I could within my own power to try and get sober. I I went to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I still have my book that I got at my first meeting and they said, get a sponsor. And I said, okay. And I left that meeting and I never looked back.
because I didn't get a sponsor and I didn't start working the steps and I never went to another meeting and things got okay for a little while. Cause then my girl was off my back and then, uh, it got bad again. And then I was like, okay, like I'll go to a meeting. I'll like try to work it out. And like, and I like went to another meeting and, uh, the same kind of thing happened. And, um, I wasn't, I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't connect. I couldn't see the, uh, the similarities in the stories. I always focused so much on like, what was different. I was like, these guys are hella old. They don't understand me. I'm an artist. I'm super sensitive. Like they don't get what I'm going through. The only thing that we have in common is that we're alcoholics. And at this point, I'm just kind of accepting that I'm an alcoholic and I'm going to be an alcoholic for the rest of my life. And as long as I, go to work and do my job and like only drink at night. I'm going to be okay. And that really, really, really didn't work. I'm here today because the last year of my drinking got, um, awful, 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 awful. Um, my, the girl I was with uh, left and she went, moved across the country to go to grad school. And, and part of her reasoning for leaving was that I was an alcoholic and I was being emotionally and verbally abusive to her. And it was something that I like couldn't see. I kept blaming her for like the problems that I had. Um, and I would just like keep projecting like, oh, your issues with me are, are your daddy issues. You know, you have like a drunk dad that was terrible to you. So you're just kind of projecting that on me. Like, that's not how I am. And I'm like a totally different person. And I, I like was living through this, um, this lens of myself, not really being that bad. And, um, as I look back with sober eyes, um, you know, I, I connect with, with this description on page 82 of the big book. Um, and it says the alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. And that was kind of where I got to, um, a lot where it was just like the drinking took precedent over everything else in my life. And I didn't care who or what I hurt. I just, wanted to keep drinking. Um, and all last summer I, I did that and I drank and drank and drank and I drank and I drove and I found myself waking up from blackouts in my van in places that I did not know where I was. And that happened a few times. I got a DUI and then I didn't learn. And then I crashed my van into a guardrail, uh, on the freeway in Sacramento uh, flipped over a couple times. My dog was in the van with me and she was ejected and died. And, um, the, the airbag didn't go off, but I was wearing my seatbelt and, um, my, my arm <clears throat> was, I guess, hanging out the window and, and I'm very grateful that I still have my arm in my life and I didn't fucking kill anybody else because, um, you know, seeing pictures of, of my van in the tow yard, it's like a crushed fucking beer can. It looks, 
you know, the parts are there, but it is a, like a significantly smaller thing. And, um, I, uh, I had to spend the, the first two or three days in the hospital, like just really reflecting on myself. I didn't have my phone. I tried to get in contact with my family and, um, nobody answered the first night. And, um, I, I spent the, the first couple days there just alone reflecting and, um, ended up being able to, to talk to a friend. And they said, I, I think you have a problem. And I said, I think I have a problem. And they said, I want you to talk to my friend, uh, Jonah. And I talked to Jonah and Jonah became my sponsor and he gave me a whole list of a bunch of meetings to go to. And, um, and then I went to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous while I was in the hospital in a cast. And, um, it was a Saturday night. And I, so I guess I'd been, you know, dry for four or five days at that point. Um, and something changed. It was, I was like immediately welcomed and it was good. And it felt like it started to be, it started to make sense. Um, because it was like just talking, talking to my sponsor and, and just beginning to work through the steps and, and having him just be like, just look at step one, you know, and admitting that we were powerless and that our lives had become unmanageable. And it was really, really easy for me to see at that point how unmanageable it was because everything came crashing down. Um, and I'm grateful that I had, um, that gift of desperation because if it didn't go on like that, I would have kept going and I would be dead or I would have killed somebody else or something way worse would have happened. Um, so what it's like now <laughs> is it's really good. I was just telling Dean and Laura, I was having a really tough day today and I got a, I got a love letter from the DA and I, you know, because there's consequences that happen when you crash your van into a guardrail and you're drunk. Um, and there, you know, there's going to be some consequences for that. And that's something that I'm going to have to face. And I, I talked to my sponsor and I talked to another, uh, member of, of Alcoholics Anonymous and I like kind of talked through some of the stuff and I tried to go do things to clear my head. And, when I went to go do that, I was hanging out with my brother and he started picking a fight with me and was really just like going in on however bad his day was. He started projecting that at me. And I, it was like a big test of where I'm at in my kind of like serenity and peace here. And as I like, I left there and walked across town and it's like, six miles to my house from where my brother's shop was. And along the way, there's like a bunch of liquor stores I used to go to and all of that stuff. And, you know, I, I fucking thought about it and I was like, wow, you know, I could stop. I could, this would be something to drink over. And I just kept remembering that like, that is not the solution. And that's only going to make things worse because what I have right now is a gift and if i throw it away it's 
like all the work that I'm like starting to do to like make these improvements. Like I haven't even seen how cool it's going to be yet, you know? And if I throw it away over like one silly argument or like one weird letter, it's not, it's not worth it. Um, and I think that that might be like the end of my 10 minute thing, but I would just say, um, as, as they tell us, don't leave before the miracle happens and just kind of keep going. It's hard. Every day is a different kind of difficult, but you don't have to drink over it. Love you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Cynthia. I'm an alcoholic. 8.55. Okay, this might be the longest um, I've s- spoken, but cool. I'm um, really grateful um, that Laura asked me to speak tonight. I haven't been to a night meeting in like a decade. I think I've been only going to morning meetings for, you know, as I get older and go to bed early, but very cool. So um, I'll tell you um, what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. I uh, grew up in an alcoholic family, although the alcoholic in my family, my dad was a fun, loving, high functioning um, drunk. And my mom, who didn't drink at all, was difficult. (laughs) And I remembered at a very early age, realized, you know, before gender permanence, which actually, I don't even know if that's a thing anymore, but before I could figure out, like, the dads are doing one thing and the moms are doing something else, usually they would, would happen either during weekends when they would play cards or when we'd go camping, the dads would be having fun in like a, a circle kind of thing. And the moms would be running around disheveled, yelling and, and, and just, just that did not look like the gig I wanted. So I was like, yeah, I don't want that. I want this. And I remembered one time camping. Um, sorry, it's distracting to look at you and myself. So sometimes I'll look away. <laughs> I remember one time in particular camping, um, very little, so five maybe, because we stopped going to Canada. I'm from the East Coast um, originally. And I, the men were doing the thing, and they had little, the brown bottles. And I, and I said to my dad, can I have a sip of that? And my dad looked to see where my mom was, and she saw the transaction. So he shook me off like, no, nah, no, you can't have a sip. And she's like, no, 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 go ahead and give her a sip, thinking that just like when she had had her first cigarette, it tastes terrible that it would be a deterrent. So he's like, okay. And he gave me a sip and it did taste bad. Cause you know, I was eating pop rocks and sugar. So it didn't taste good, but I remember thinking, okay, like, all right, I, I can get on board with whatever this is here. I, uh, always felt like I didn't fit in for sure. I know that's pretty common with all of us. I, when we moved, I was only like five or six years old when we moved from the valley up the top of the hill, um, which a lot of kids did when their their parents you know, wanted to get a bigger house. And um, we went outside, my brother and I, and the kids in the neighborhood, my mom like kicked us out of the house. She's like, go out and meet the neighbors. And I remembered the, the kids said something mean and something mean about my brother because he was chubby. And I just remembered like always oh, like that feeling, even though it was one time that that statement happened, I always felt like they all are together and we're the weirdos. Definitely. I'm the weirdo that doesn't belong that 
that was throughout that I've had to work with in throughout in my sobriety. I grew up in a, an Irish Catholic drinking neighborhood. And um, from a very early age, my friend, my best friend and I, we would it oscillate between we would sometimes steal her mother's cigarettes and go smoke them. Sometimes we would play with our stuffed animals and we would play make-believe. And sometimes we would sneak from the liquor cabinet of someone's house and just spin in a chair and then lay on the carpet. Like very, like if I'm still playing with dolls sometimes and then drinking others, you know, it was, was pretty early on. And we didn't think it was weird. And her older sister and their friends didn't think it was particularly weird. And by the time I was a teenager, we were all um, the neighborhood kids going out into the woods and um, drinking whatever we had either ripped off from our own parents' house or found some older kid to buy for us every single weekend, all the weekends. There was um, a particularly painful moment in my drinking um, early on. It was the first week or so of, of uh, junior high. There was no middle school in the uh, 80s so it was um it was like the like oh we're we're now in the junior high with the, the older kids and my one of my friends she'd figured out how to buy a, a mat spear ball i don't know if they had those on the west coast nor do i know if that's i don't think it's a thing anymore but it was like a disposable keg like a plastic pump <laughs> on the beer ball and she'd gotten several of those and we'd all gone out into the park because we lived in like the suburbs it was bordering on the country and um we all were drinking obviously underage because seventh grade i don't know how old that is but it's not legal <laughs> and by the by the time the night had ended i was pouring a beer straight into my mouth from the tap because i don't know if i'd lost my glass my cup the red cup I don't know what happened in my cup, but I remember distinctly doing that and someone saying, that's not, a, that's not a good idea. And I thought, oh, all right, well, I'm doing it anyway. And I got very, very drunk and kissed a boy that I didn't have any, didn't find particularly attractive on a sober day and made a general ass of myself, a spectacle, as you can possibly imagine. And I went into school on the Monday and everybody was talking about me and what I had done and I had blacked out and I didn't quite understand what a blackout was, but um, people were saying things. And I was like, I don't exactly remember doing that, but I, I do remember that. And I sure don't like everybody pointing, laughing or talking as I go down the hall. I got into social studies class and the kid that sat behind me, who incidentally at our 10 year reunion asked me if I still disliked him and I told him, yeah, I actually did. He was by me and he was whispering in my ear, like all the things his older sister had said that I had done at the party and laughing and yucking it up. And so I went, I made an excuse to our social studies teacher, went to the nurse, had my mom come get me. And then I was, I pretended to be sick for the rest of the week because I did not want to go back. I, um, for, it was the first time I had thought about killing myself because I was so full of shame and remorse and just humiliation. Shame. Shame is like a huge, huge part of my story. And um, I had to eventually go back. My mom was like, okay, you, you, I'm taking you to the doctor or you're going back to school. I don't remember the exact details, but I know I eventually went back to school. And the school was uh, basically a square uh, 
Like there was like all the floors were in square shape and I would sometimes all in all the different grades were on their own floor. And instead of going around the corner to my classes in the five minutes they give you between classes, I would run all the way down into the, the, the lobby where it was like the gym, the art room and the office across to get to a stairwell and then run all the way up so that I would be closer to the room I had to get into and go in really quick. So I wouldn't have to pass by anybody in the halls for them to say anything to me. And I did this for, I probably got in really good shape, but um, most seventh graders are in pretty good shape. I, uh, I just couldn't take facing anybody. I just couldn't take it. And that, that would go on and that would be replayed throughout my, my drinking days. I don't remember too much else from, junior high. I know that I skipped over one thing. I know that in elementary school, they would play propaganda films about, you know, don't do drugs or don't drink or smoke, all those things. And I remember just being very uh, attracted to all of it. Like it didn't, you didn't serve the purpose to discourage me. It was just something I was always very attracted to. So junior high, tell you that incident. Don't remember much else about my drinking in junior high. I do know that I continued drinking and other substances, you know, pot mostly creeped in, smoking in those those um, tween, I guess, tween years. I know that by the time I got to high school, I was back. I forgot about the shame, I guess, or that particular incident. I was drinking very regularly. And I remembered my driver's ed teacher going on about dr- drunk driving. And there was apparently a hockey player who goalie maybe who didn't have that many drinks thought he, he was fine obviously if you're a goalie and hockey your reflexes are pretty good and he um missed a turn and went off a bridge and i don't know died and i remembered it impressed upon me like you may not think that you have a problem or that you're drunk but that you can be impaired and, and for whatever reason i decided uh, the first of many times to stop drinking on my own so I had gotten it in my head, like, maybe there is a problem here. It was like creeping in, driver's ed, bombarding you with like, don't drink and drive. And so I tried to quit on my own and I had done it for a short period of time, but I remembered having like one of those first light bulbs of like, if there isn't anything wrong, then why am I trying to quit drinking? And I'm in high school. I remember it was like one of those just like, brief fleeting moments of clarity. It came and went and I um, continued to drink and use other substances very regularly. And by the time I had gotten to college, my first year of college, I remember um, I still was with the boyfriend that I had in high school. I had gone to see him at the next town over and I had caused him great uh, embarrassment. I, I don't exactly know what I did because I was a blackout drinker, but I remembered him saying to me the next day, why can't you just drink like a normal person? And I remember thinking, I, <laughs> I didn't even know how to answer that question. And I, obviously I know how to answer it now, but I remember thinking, I hate you. And we did break up shortly thereafter, but I, I it was like, I don't know. Like, what do you, <laughs> this isn't, an, so The following year or two of college, I remembered I drank or did drugs every single, um, constantly, and um, started following the Grateful Dead around the country. And so, as you can imagine, that environment is very conducive to um, using 
and, and drinking. And there, there came a point where I either had to choose to figure out a, a way to handle get, getting through college and drinking. So what I, what I would do is I, two semesters, I had all my classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays so that I could be the most miserable person to be around Monday night until Thursday afternoon to get all the schoolwork done. And then I would be basically in like a constant drunk from Thursday night all the way until, till Monday morning. Um, drinking went on. I know there was another time I, over Christmas break, I went to my girlfriend's house and for whatever reason, she's another town over the other direction upstate New York. And we had schnapps. That was all that there was to drink. And I remembered getting so violently ill the next day, um, the sugar and the, I don't know what happened when I was visiting her town, but I know as my mom was driving me and my best friend back to college, she kept having to pull over on the throughway for me to throw up out the car. I again, tried to quit drinking during this time period, but I didn't know anything about, um, people, places, and things. No one says that anymore, but people, places, and things I didn't know anything about. And I also, um, kept using other substances because I thought, well, Drinking was my drug of choice. It was the one that I would black out and say things that were horrifying. And I just thought, oh, it's fine. Like I had, I still smoked pot through this time. I took ecstasy during this time period. Like, like I did all these other things. And as, as shocking as it may be to everyone here, I eventually went back to drinking. Like I had tried so many times on my own to quit, but I didn't understand. I had no tools. I had no, I didn't change anything about my life. And I always went back. And um, there were moments where I thought, I, I don't understand why people are, you know, whispering and speaking badly of me. If they only could judge me by my intentions instead of my actions, they would know what a good person I was. Like, I had lots of these moments that now seem really funny to me. Um, and I eventually, I graduated college I waited for my boyfriend to, to finish up because we were going to move. We had a number of cities we were going to move to. We ended up moving to New York City. But while I waited for him, I uh, was waitressing. Fine job. Not what I went to college for, but still. I was doing that while I was waiting for him. And there was a woman there who had gotten sober. She had been um, uh, a stripper. I don't know if it's a better way to call that. But she was a stripper. And she had gotten sober. And she would bring a big book in. And I remember thinking... This bitch is weird, <laughs> but she had just started to like say, like she, she'd gotten a job in a restaurant, quit her, you know, dancing job. And she just started to plant the seeds again. And it didn't stick because she was pretty freaking weird. Um, who brings their big book to work? I don't know. Maybe people do, but I don't know. Um, but again, it was like, oh, there, there's a way, like there's something else or there's other people who maybe feel the way I do. By the very end, I was drinking every day. And so that first conscious moment when I would wake up, um, this is how it would go for like at least a year. Like for my, my eyes would open up and I would look around. On a good day, I would be in my own apartment and Drew would be next to me. Probably shouldn't have said his name since it was being recorded, but he it would be him. That would be who was next to me. And I was like, okay, that's, that's a good start. The um, phone, if it started ringing, 
and ringing and ringing and ringing. Um, if there were answer the messages on our answering machine, I knew like it's probably things I did that I don't want to hear about. Not a good sign. Depending on how he acted towards me, I would know like how bad was I the night before. Because seriously, blackout drinker. Not <laughs> nine out of ten times, I was not going to remember what I had done. Most of the time, it would be something horrifying or just enough shame to make me decide I'm never drinking again. That's it. I'm not doing it again. And I would swear off. Maybe I'd be brave enough to listen to some of the messages. Maybe I wouldn't. And I don't know. This is the most, the clearest memories I have is I would, I would be on my way to work. And if I got gas and the gas station attendant flirted with me a little bit, I'd think, oh, maybe I'm not a piece of shit. Like maybe I'm not so bad. Like maybe, maybe I'm not so bad. Maybe I'm making a big deal out of nothing. Day would go on. And by the time it was the afternoon or evening, I'd think, oh, maybe I'll just have one. Uh, again, I don't know why I ever thought that that would work. It had never worked before, but it would be always what I would tell myself. I'll just have a little. And then I would drink myself into a blackout and um, wish that I would die. If I had a conscious enough moment, I would wish that I would be taken out in my sleep. Like just, I can't, I can't do this. I've tried to quit so many times. There's something wrong with me. I don't know what it is. And I just, I can't do this anymore. This is the most pathetic like during this time, my boyfriend and I, the only, we couldn't afford cable. So we, we could get with the rabbit ears, um, one channel and it was like Hunter. I don't know if anyone remembers the show. It wasn't good. It was, I think he was an ex football player, but he was some sort of cop or detective and it was always on. And that's all we watched. And he would go to school to finish up i would waitress i would be drunk wishing to die and would watch hunter like that was my existence not particularly sexy not a beer commercial it's not good and i just thought i cannot live this way anymore i um <clears throat> i feel like i had always known what alcoholics anonymous was but the woman um the stripper who brought the big book in i certainly got a little bit more information from her about what um that it existed. So I remember in one of the moments where I was just like desperate, I called, I guess, intergroup, I guess it would have been. And the person on the phone, I don't even remember if it was a man or a woman. They said, they tried to get me to go to a meeting. And I was like, well, that's not happening. Why don't you mail me some stuff? So they, I'm assuming they tried to get me to go to a meeting um, and I didn't go. And they, I got some stuff in the mail. And one of them, I don't, I don't know what the hell they sent, but I know one of them was 12 questions, 20 questions, some number of questions. We like 12 here. So maybe it was 12. And it was like, do you drink in the morning? Do you, I don't know, a bunch of, they ask you a bunch of stuff. I could look it up, but I just haven't since. And I remembered I minimized and answered honestly, like a few of them. And I don't always drink in the morning. So no, or whatever else they ask shame blackouts probably something like that on there and when it got to the bottom it said if you answered yes to i don't know what even one of these you may have a problem with your drinking and i i remember thinking well, i don't like well this is a bunch of crap because the only person that i know who can answer yes to several of these would be my mom and I didn't go into much detail, but I did tell you from the get, I did not want to be like my mom, right? She was disheveled and chasing children and 
kind of a difficult person growing up. And I thought, well, <clears throat> this is crap. So I threw it in the direction of, I don't know if there was a garbage can in my room. It probably wasn't probably the, where I kept the pile of garbage at the time. And I went about my merry way drinking, threw up, stayed in my hair for a period of time because I was on antibiotics. Apparently I vomited, just turned over. I remember that being like, this is just disgusting. I, I just can't do this. So I tried again. I brought that boyfriend to a meeting. It wasn't an open meeting, but I didn't know any different. And uh, I was sure everybody in this giant church knew that I was a you know, newcomer or an outsider or whatever I thought. They didn't. Nobody really gives a crap. And we sat at one of the tables and I admitted that I was new to the um, like program, but I didn't have any of the language. And everyone went around our table and I told these stories like, oh, you know, when I drank, I would lock my kids in their room or I don't know what else they said. I remember that story in particular. And I left thinking, wow, these people have a problem with appropriate self-disclosure. How um, inappropriate for them to be telling these horrific events of their life to a stranger. Weird. Again, tried to stop it on my own. And I don't know how long it took me from that point until I finally surrendered and came into the rooms um, of Alcoholics Anonymous. But I, I came in and I was finally ready to listen. I didn't um, immediately quit smoking pot, but I think it didn't take me but a month of some women 12-stepping me that, you know, I had met other young women in the program. I was still, I was 21 when I got sober. I, I know that you can't probably tell by looking at me, but I'm significantly older than 21 right now. And um, that's sarcasm. And they, uh, they, they do, the doctor addict, you know, they did the whole, you're blocking out the sunlight of the spirit, blah, blah, blah. You can't be smoking pot and being sober. So I, um, I keep looking at the time. 20 I have time to tell the whole the whole deal so um I started to you know I got a sponsor I got a home group I would go to meetings and I started to get a taste of what the program really was but what I didn't know is that when I went from where we lived in upstate New York and we went to New York City to see where we would you know get an apartment and where we would live and we were visiting all of our other friends that had moved downstate from college um everyone in AA kept saying, I don't think you're ready to take that trip. I don't know. You should go to a meeting when you get there. Are you sure you have to go? Like all this stuff. And I was like, I'll be fine, freaks. And I got there and we went and saw an opera in the in Central Park. And um, I was supposed to go back to New Jersey with my girlfriends who were civilians. And I manipulated everybody that was there. It was a good dozen people to change where we were sleeping that night so that we could sleep over with the guy friends that we had that I knew would be getting wasted. So like I made up, I don't know how I did it, but I orchestrated everybody's rides and situations so we could go back to their apartment. And we did. And I relapsed. And I remembered um, it, it was just a pot and maybe a beer, but the, the in my mind, that counts. And we watched The Simpsons. And I remembered thinking, well, this really wasn't euphoric. I don't, was this worth it? I don't really, should I, should I try the other drugs I haven't done? Like, what do we do here? Because now I've just flushed away whatever it was a few months. 
I don't know what it was, a few months probably. And, but it seemed like a lifetime to me because that was the longest I had gone since I was a kid. Um, cause I picked up as, you know, when I was still playing with Barbie. So, um, thankfully I didn't pick up anything else, but the thought of heroin occurred to me because I'd never done it. And I thought it probably is great. <laughs> I didn't try it thankfully. And I went back and I admitted that I had relapsed and I admitted it in the group with my sponsor and all the things. And then I really began to work the program. Um, I moved, I did move, end up moving and that relationship with that boyfriend didn't last very long. He and his friends started to actually snort heroin and, and I don't know what they did after that. We're not in touch. And I went this direction and got sober with a lot of young people in New York. And I, um, worked the program in the beginning. Like I, I did, I had service commitments. I had a sponsor. I went out and I showed up early. I did some sort of service commitment. I shared in the meeting and then I'd go to the diner afterwards and, 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 and. So like I was very much immersed in the program and then I, life started to happen. Cause I was so young, right? Like I got a good job and then I, um, eventually got married and then I mortgage and then I had kids. Like I, things started to happen in my life and the program started to become just going to meetings and not drinking, right? Not, not doing drugs either. Um, that, so they call that two-stepping in the big book. I didn't know this and I didn't think about it um, at all because it was working for a long time. Although um, people would say stuff like, hey, middle-aged women that are in the program for 15, 20 years, they don't usually have road rage incidents or they don't usually almost have a fist fight with the lady at Costco. Like they were like things that were like tipping people off. Like, do you really need, do you still hate your mom that much? Like what's happening here? And I bottomed out in sobriety. And I think, I feel like this is important. I wish, maybe I had heard it. I don't know if I heard it. I didn't hear it. Don't remember it. But at 20 years sober, I um, was uh, I had to leave my job. I sh shut down. I had to go on medication, anxiety, depression. I was uh, about to get divorced. It was definitely not going to win mother of the year. It wasn't going to happen. And I was absolutely miserable and wanted to kill myself. I knew drinking and drugging wasn't going to be, I, I knew it was not going to make anything better. So I thought I need, I need to get, I just need to end this. And thank God I met the woman who would become my sponsor. Um, I'm looking at her picture now. She's she died two summers ago. She got a hold of me, and she, you know, she had. She's like, okay, we're going back to the to the basics. We're working the steps. You're going to call me every day. You're going to develop a spiritual practice, and 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 thank God because um, I was not in good shape in in um, twenty years sober. <laughs> like it's so. Um, so thank God for, for, for Kim. And I, um, since then, this is what I do now. So this is what it's like now. Like I shared what it was kind of like, but I wouldn't recommend that. Um, what it is like now is there's this chair behind me. It's blue. And I sit in it every morning. I get up, I have my coffee and I text my sponsor. Not this one. They were best friends. Some of my new sponsor. I, um, Meditate. I read some spiritual 
like right now I'm on Emmett Fox, uh, 365 days of something I journal. And in my journal, I do, um, stream of consciousness. And then I do, uh, HP help. Like what I, please help me be a service, better mom, say something useful at this meeting, whatever. And then I go into radical gratitude where I just brain like vomit up what I'm grateful for. And I try to do something that I haven't done the day before. So that's why I call it radical gratitude. I don't do for my health and my marriage. I do like, I love these pajamas. Look at the sunset. That bird sounds amazing. Gratitude. And then I read and I photocopied it pages 86 and 87 of the big book. And I pray. And then I exercise sometimes. I'm not the best exerciser, but I do something like I point because I do like some squats or push up or something over there. And I do that every MFing day. I do, I'm in a spiritual place before I start. Oh, and I meditate. Sorry. That's probably the most important thing because meditation is the thing that finally, I believe, I don't know for sure. Cause it's sort of weird. You're just sitting there and then your life changes. I remember thinking that's stupid. There's some science behind it. I meditate every day and now I don't have road raid incidents. I don't storm out of the house and flourish like this dramatic exit. I don't fight with the lady at Costco. I, um, I can be relied upon. Like I am, I've changed in sobriety in the latter part, because I put a spiritual practice in place and I'm coming up on the end, but I'll tell you the, the self-loathing has been replaced with self-love and someone who used to, I'm going to swear, so plug yours, if you can't handle it. I used to have a case of the fuck it's like, fuck it. I'm not doing it. Or, fuck it. I quit or breaking up with you or F it. I would just be done. Did it in the middle of grad school and sobriety. Did it my whole life. Now, my word, when I say I'm going to do something, you can count on that I'm going to do it. Like, I don't, like, my word is now my bond. I remember my dad always saying that. He was old school. You don't need a lawyer. Your word should be your bond. Like, oh, okay. Um, it is my bond now. Like, if I say I'm going to speak at the 8 o'clock meeting, I'm going to be there. And, and, and I just, I'm, I like the person I am today. I'm in a situation at work where I got a new boss and I'm not super loving it. I had the other boss that I got along really well for years and years. And the old me, even the me in the first part of my sobriety would be out of there. Like as soon as I felt like some, I wasn't appreciated or I'll show you, I'll hurt me. Right. I'm, I'm trying to just do the next right thing. So I think that is probably going to be all out of me. I am ending a little bit early, but Thank you so much for having me here. Um, Cynthia, alcoholic, grateful that I was able to join you.